five minutes after 6 a.m. Today is Tisha B'Av 5774. Today is the 9th of Av. The tradition is we do not greet each other on the 9th of Av. In addition to the restrictions that apply to the day, things like uh, not eating and drinking, not washing, etc., and uh, we will be presenting a kinnis service here at JM in the AM starting at about 7.30 this morning with Rabbi David Goldwasser, especially for those who are not able to make it to kinnis this morning. And um, our Tisha B'Av program will begin with Rabbi Beryl Wine as he continues his analysis of Megillah's Eicha, the Megillah we read on Tisha B'Av here at JM in the AM. Discussing with you this uh, third Parakinaicha. One of the uh, great complaints, so in the third Parakin, I'm going to begin Posid Lamed Hay. One of the great complaints uh, that resounds throughout the Nevi'im is against the, the corruption of society or the judicial system and especially the corruption uh, by those who uh, wear the cloak of piety. So the Novi says, Laves Odom Berivo, to make crooked a person in his dispute. So uh, the uh, problem with all disputes is that each side not only is uh, convinced of its right, uh, but is convinced that it can use all measures to prove its right. And that uh, it becomes uh, an involvement of ego. There's nothing as uh, traumatic as the Dintora. Because... Uh, it's no longer an issue of the money that's involved or whatever else is involved. It's an issue of the two personalities that are involved. People can walk away from money, but they find it hard to walk away from their own ego or self-justification. Therefore, the Gemara encourages, encourages us at almost all costs to avoid litigation. Now, we live in a litigious society. The general society is full of trial lawyers. Everybody's suing everybody else. And that has spilled over into the Torah world as well. But that is seen as a uh, corruption of the system because of the fact that it leads to uh, really the terrible tragedy. In my own uh, life experience being a rub, so I have been a judge on a number of Dinei Torah, and uh, the experience has never been pleasant. But there are different types of people. There are uh, are people who can accept that the Dinei Torah, for instance, goes against them. And there are people who can never accept that. And then they'll pursue it, having lost in the rabbinic court, then they'll pursue it in the secular court, 
they'll take ads in the paper. There's no end to what they'll do because of the fact that they can't, uh, they just can't absorb the fact that they were found to be wrong. And then there is out-and-out corruption. So the Gemara says that uh, uh, the great Shmuel, whom we, meet, whom we meet in the Gemara often, Gamora Shmuel, uh, disqualified himself from being a judge on a Torah because the man let him pass first on the bridge, walking on a bridge, and he let Shmuel, because Shmuel was the great rabbi, the head of the because he let him go first, Shmuel considered that enough bribery, enough influence, that he could no longer have an open mind on the subject. I was once a judge on a Dintoward that involved millions of dollars. It was a, uh, a bank in New York, the Jewish-controlled bank, uh, that uh, the defendant had borrowed $5 million from the bank. And he had various defenses as to why not to pay it. The bank, uh, for also various reasons, chose not to pursue it in a secular court. The guy that they sued, the guy that was a defendant, you know, was a real, real uh, sharp businessman, to put a mile. And... Uh, I felt uh, I misjudged him, because I felt that, uh, you know, if the president decided against him, the president would be in trouble. He always, he smacked also of having underworld connections. And uh, so they had the really, uh, the two other Dayonim were great, great known American leading rabbis. And we sat on the case for nine months, and there was uh, there were hundreds of documents, and uh, it was really a complicated case. At the end, uh, our decision was that he did owe the bank three and a half million dollars, and his defenses on the other million and a half were legitimate, but three and a half he owed it, and. Uh, wrote out the decision and everything. The next day, the guy went out. Interesting. The guy went out and took a life insurance policy on himself for three and a half million dollars and made the bank the beneficiary. So that was one positive experience. But for every positive experience, you have a negative experience. It sat in the dim tower between two brothers. Each of the brothers was worth probably $30 million. Their father died and owned real estate, and uh, they could not uh, divide the real estate between the two brothers and the sister that were involved equitably. And they sued each other. They went, well, don't ask what happened. They spent millions fighting each other, destroyed the entire families, destroyed till today, generations. Cousins don't speak to each other, nobody. And uh, when we rendered the Psaq Alocha in that case, uh, the person who felt that he lost 
even though it was a compromise, was not Galofin. But the person who felt that he was then went to court, the secular court, and sued the, 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 the rabbis for being biased. So uh, you have different experiences. But the system is... Uh, is given is is really susceptible to corruption, and therefore the Navi says lahatos mishpat gever. That's possible to take the judgment of a person and to bend it. Neged when you do it in front of God, you think that God doesn't care. But God is not aware of your corruption. To corrupt the person, to uh, distort justice in his claim. Hashem lo God doesn't see. So the Novi says, Is there anything that happens in the world that occurs? Hashem lo that the Lord did not command. The world is not here at random. It is from the mouth of God, so to speak, that all things good and not so good emanate. This is a famous passage. Why should a human being complain? What justification does he have to complain? Gever al Khatov when he is full of sin. But the Gemara Darshan this differently. The Gemara Darshan Mayisone Nodam Chai. Dayoshu Chai. You're still alive, don't complain. Life itself is a gift. Every day. Every moment. And therefore the uh, the Torah left very little room for complaint. We read in the Torah, the people in the desert were complainers. Well, they said they didn't like the, you know, didn't like lunch at Or Sameach. They, you know, they said, oh, in Egypt we had watermelon, we had pickles. And here there's no pickle. Can you get a good pickle? So therefore, boom. I mean, in Israel now, this is um, seven years. Haven't found a good pickle yet, but that's life, right? But there are people who are destroyed by small things. Again, it's not seeing the whole picture. So, in the whole picture of life, my, the rabbi said, "My Listen, you're alive. You have what to eat. You have a roof over your head." Doing something. So, keep quiet. There are people in life who are always complainers, who are never satisfied with the terrible nature that one should always struggle against. It's the thing that destroys marriage more than anything else, is the 5% that we don't like in the other person. So that 5% is enough to destroy the 95% why we got married originally. Shlomo Melech says in Kehelas, 
He's at Kol Hodo. You have to see the whole person in life when we judge people. Since there are no perfect people outside of the remnant, so it's hard to, uh, to deal with in life. But that's, that's the trick. So let us search our ways. Let us analyze how we got here. What happened to us? We return to the Lord. We'll find our way back. Now in the midst of this great book of lamentations, there is always an underlying thread of hope of a better tomorrow, of being able to pick oneself up from the floor and go further in life. That's true personally and that's true nationally. Uh, Resilience is the key to success. We all have failures. What do we do after the failure? So the Shlomo Melek says in Mishlei, Sheva Yipol Tzadik Vakon. The righteous person falls seven times. But Vakon, he picks himself up every time. The difference between the Tzadik and the Russia, between the righteous person and the evil person, the evil person doesn't pick himself up after the first time. Stole once, and now he remains a Ghana forever. Did something wrong, he keeps on doing it. righteous person can fall seven times and he picks himself up. There's a resilience that's necessary in life. There's a great civic story that they tell about the Levi Yitzchok of Bardichu. The great Bardichu Rebbe. So they say that every night before he went to bed he would talk to himself. And he would say, you know, Levi Yitzchok, today wasn't such a good day. Did a lot of things wrong today. And then he would say to himself, but Lady Yitzhak will do better tomorrow. And then he would say to himself, but Lady Yitzhak said that last night. And then he would say, but now Lady Yitzhak means it. So in that anecdote, uh, lies the philosophy really of being a good person, a good Jew. To recognize our failings, to say we will improve, and even though we may not have improved yet, but now we mean it, we will improve. One of the great uh, weapons of the Yetzirah is to allow a person to give up on oneself. Because then it doesn't make a difference anymore. Let us carry our hearts in our hands, to raise our hands with our hearts in it, to really mean it. El to the God in heaven. Then there's hope for us. We have a way out. It's not all lost. So let's proceed to. Possib Nun Hey Korosi Shimcha Hashem 
Lord, I call out unto your name, Mibor Tachtios. From the depths of the dungeon, I call out to you. Now this is a parallel to what we have in the book of Yonah, which is the book that we read on Yom Kippur for Mincha. So there, he's in the belly of the whale. However, we'll understand how he's there. In the belly of the fish, he's gone. And he prays to God. So a person should never lose hope. That's the idea here. Where it says, The executioner is holding the sharpened axe blade on the man's throat to chop off his head. He shouldn't give up hope yet. In the immortal uh, words of the American philosopher Yogi Berra, it ain't over till it's over. And uh, there's a lot of truth in that. Now, uh, the Ashkenazic custom on Rosh Hashanah, before the sounding of the shofar, is to read six psukim. That the acronym of the psukim are Kra Sotan, Tear the Sotan, that the Sotan shouldn't interfere with our uh, sounding of the shofar. Now that's a Kabbalistic custom, but it's been accepted pretty universally throughout the Jewish world, even by those who are not so influenced by Kabbalah. Many of the psukim are taken here from Eichel. The first posuk is here, posuk nun vod, koli shamata, God, you hear my cry, al tamei moznecha, don't turn your ear away, the rab chosi, means to widen me, to allow me to escape, to allow me to have vision, the shavosi, to save me. God, on the day that I called you, you did come close to me, the Novi says. I felt your presence. Amarta, and you said to me, Altira, don't be afraid. So here the Novi refers to what he uh, described in the first chapter of Yermio. That's why it's so essential to know Tanakh. You know Tanakh, then you know a lot. You know, uh, you know, there are the people in a book. That's the book. So even though Tanakh is not a favorite subject in the yeshiva world, for reasons that I have never been able to fathom. In Europe, a father that uh, lived me well always told me that in Europe you study Tanakh on your own. So everybody knew Tanakh. They like knew it by heart. Everybody in the yeshiva knew Tanakh. But unfortunately, that statement cannot be uh, verified regarding our generation. But uh, it would be a worthwhile project uh, to take off 10 or 15 minutes a day and study Tanakh. Go through it, let's say, with the parish of the Radak. Or even go through it with the parish of Artscrow. And uh, 
Tanakh will give you the, uh, the perspective, the picture of what's involved, what Judaism really is. So here the Novi says, you, what I told you in the first chapter of Yermio, I said I didn't want to go. I don't want to be a prophet. Who wants to be a prophet, right? You end up in jail. Prophets are never honored, not least till they're dead. Like a great artist can't make a living while they're alive, right? When they die, then their paintings are worth money. Someone asked me to sign uh, my book on Pirkei Ovis for them. So I told them only half facetiously. I said, in 200 years, it'll be worth money. Hold on. So the Novi said, I told you I didn't want to go. Right? I told you what would happen. And you told me, God, Altira, don't be afraid. You, you have to be strong. You have to do it anyway. So the Novi says this not so much in complaint as in irony. Lord, you have to fight my battles. You have to redeem my life. So again, this is not only a statement about the Novi's personal life, but it's a statement about the Jewish people generally. That the Lord, so to speak, has to fight our battles too. Cannot rely solely upon ourselves or upon others. But the Lord fights our battles as well. Now the parak ends. Again, uh, the Novi speaks here of revenge. Now, why does he speak of revenge? You know, revenge is not a nice word. And, uh, we're so accustomed. Uh, First of all, we're accustomed to think like Christians. Not how Christians behave, but how they speak. But how they behave is a different matter completely. If Christianity always preaches, you know, turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, never take revenge. So, uh, that has crept into our uh, psyche as well. But there are times when uh, the only thing that works is revenge. When killing Saddam's two sons had a positive effect. When they get the old man, it will have even more positive effect. Get rid of Al-Qaeda. Get rid of uh, Osama. It's the only thing that makes an impression. The fact that uh, uh, the uh, top Nazis were executed went a long way in convincing Germany that Nazism uh, should not be revived. The fact that Germany was destroyed. There's a book uh, called the, uh, I think, The Last Days of Berlin. Or it's called Berlin 1945. It's a book, a rather recent book in the last year. Tremendous book. And it describes the mindset of the German people. So you had the German children 
that were raised in the Hitler youth, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, and also like our cousins' children, who were suicide bombers, who threw themselves with Molotov cocktails on the Russian tanks, who shot at American soldiers, even though the war was lost. So in war, they were destroyed. They were killing the Americans and the Russians were killing 12-year-olds. That made an impression. So here the Novi also says, Toshi Lev Mulashem, Posig Mandala, Nami Samadala. Pay them back. Kamase Yadeha, the Lord pays back exactly. Mido Kanegan Mido, measure for measure. God's justice is exquisite. Give to them the heartbreak that we have felt. Your punishment to come upon them. Pursue them in anger. And destroy them. So one of the ironies of history is that the Christian church has always proclaimed that the Jews, so to speak, believe in the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is vengeance of war. And the God of the New Testament is all love and sweetness and everything. Meanwhile, the Christians have, uh, have an unbroken history of murder and blood. And if you have to lose a war, I'd still rather lose it to the Jews than to anyone else. This whole thing, I mean, there's a few things to think about, but this whole thing, there hasn't been one case of rape in the IDF. In Iraq, they got 50 guys up in the stockade already. So, uh, Christian propaganda against, uh, against Judaism, which has been maintained for 2,000 years, uh, has to be looked at and analyzed carefully so that we realize its falseness. Now the fourth chapter is the chapter that is the, the eulogy, the hesped, regarding King Yoshiyahu. And then the Novi re-edited it, so to speak, uh, to cover uh, the destruction of the temple and the uh, fact that uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. Eicho Yuam Zohar. How can it be that gold has become tarnished? Gold is, one, is a metal that doesn't have to be polished. Silver has to be polished. It oxidizes. Gold remains gold, never loses its color. So the Novi says, how could it be that King Yoshio, who was gold, uh, should have become dim, should have become destroyed? And then we take it out of the context of King Yoshio, and we apply it to the uh, 
entire Jewish nation, to the land of Israel, to the temple, so then it refers to all of that too. Yishne HaKesem HaTov is good, beautiful. Uh, Kesem is like a, it means a spot, but it means uh, what you can see. This beautiful stain has now become, Yishne means uh, it's changed its appearance, it's lost its luster. The holy stones of the temple now roll in the streets. So if you want to see that, you can see that if you visit the southern wall. This year uh, we had a tour of the southern wall in the center, but I don't know if anybody was here for it. It's here now. But we we had a tour... uh, so on the southern wall, you can see the stones that were thrown down from the parapet of the temple on the day of destruction. The stones are still there. Cracks they made in the sidewalk, just in the road. So that's what the Novi describes. The dear children of Zion. Amusloim Bapoz. Polished uh, like gold. We're as pleasant as looking at fine gold jewelry. How were they treated as though they were shards of pottery thrown in the street? As though they were, uh, the, the, when, when a potter makes a pot, so uh, there are. Uh, there's residue that falls. It's not part of the finished product. It's the garbage, so to speak. And here he describes the, the siege where people died of hunger and thirst. More people died of hunger and thirst than died of uh, the actual war. For instance, after the First World War, more American soldiers died in France from influenza than died from the war. The great influenza epidemic of 1919-1920, which, by the way, killed 19 million people in the world. There was a much smaller world population then than now. So war, so to speak, has byproducts, side effects. side effect of the siege was naturally malnutrition, starvation, and thirst. So the Novi says in Possible Test, Tovim hoyu Those who died by the sword were better off than those who died of hunger, because dying of hunger is a slow, painful process, whereas the sword dispatched the person quickly. And that was true in the, in the Holocaust, too, uh, that uh, hundreds of thousands, not millions of people were killed by starvation, by disease. 
Pasuk Yud. Yedei Noshim Rachmoniyot Duishnu Yaldeya. The hands of women that were merciful women, they cooked the bodies of their own children to have something to eat. So the desperation of hunger is described by the Novi in graphic terms. People ate leather. No limit to the desperation that people can be driven to. The kings of the earth didn't believe that this could happen because Jerusalem appeared to be impregnable. Generally speaking, any uh, country or empire that exists for a long period of time, so then the, the world thinks that it will be here forever. If we can imagine ourselves in the middle of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire lasted almost 700 years. So if you lived in the 400th year, so you were certain that the empire would last forever. In our own time, we see that with the Soviet Union. Everybody believed that the Soviet Union would go on forever, right? When we always were looking for ways to conquer it. No one no one saw that it was about to implode. So the same thing, uh, Judah, the Jews had been in the land of Israel uh, 900 years. And they, had, uh, they were a strong country. So lo haminu Nobody believed that it could fall. All the people of the world, they were not convinced that somehow Judah was susceptible to be destroyed. They did not believe that an oppressor, an enemy, would be able to enter uh, the gates of Jerusalem. I mean, in our time, uh, the Jews were in Eastern Europe from the... Uh, already uh, 13th century. So you're living in one place 700 years. In the little Lithuanian town where my father should live be well comes from, so our family lived there for hundreds of years. There were the rabbis in the town for hundreds of years. So if you live in the same place for hundreds of years, you're always going to be there forever. But it didn't work out that way. When it took uh, seven, eight hundred years to build, it was destroyed in four years. So the novice remarks upon that phenomenon. That the nature of people is to believe that what was will be. So we have that, by the way, that's a halachic principle. Called Chazoka. It's a principle that what was, is, and will be. So, for instance, there's a principle in Alotha uh, that if a person is missing, he is still presumed alive because he was alive yesterday, so why should he be alive today? Even though we know there always comes a day when he won't be alive anymore. But that's a Halotha presumption. Asoka is a presumption. 
legal presumption. We presume that what was still is and will be. But we know that that presumption is subject to change. Therefore, uh, even in halacha, uh, there are other factors that will negate that presumption. So why was it destroyed? So then nobody says again, men, mechatos because of the sins of the prophet. Here he means the false prophets. People who uh, gave glib answers. He said there would be no problems. Avonos koanecha, sins of the priests. And we discussed that before. The priests, instead of being the symbol of godliness, uh, became technocrats. Just a job. Ashoti Bikirba Dam Tzadikim, who allowed the blood of the righteous to be spilled, meaning who allowed this corrupt society, they were part of it. Again, the study of Tanakh will reveal to all of us the fact that the social society is very important, how people behave towards one another. There's a famous piece in the Meshachachma, the Meir Simcha, in Parshish B'Shalach. The, uh, the Possum there describes the Jewish people entering uh, into the Red Sea. It says, Vamayim lahem choma. The water stood like a wall. So the Gemara mentions that the word choma, because again, the study of the text, the word homo should be spelled ches mem, ches vod mem hey. And it's spelled ches mem hey. The vod is missing. So the Gemara says, so the word, when you look at it, is chemo. Chemo means anger. So the waters were in anger with the Jewish people. That he says that, God, the waters were ready to drowned the Jewish people as well. So Morris says, why? Because the Jewish people were idolaters. The angels in heaven, so to speak, and this is the way the Gemara portrays it, the angels in heaven say to God, Alolu of the Avodazor, Alolu of the Avodazor. The Egyptians are idolaters, the Jews are idolaters. Why are you saying the Jews are drowning the Egyptians? They're a fair. Where's the sense of justice in? So the Gemara discusses that God, so to speak, saw potential. Sometimes you have, uh, if you're uh, an educator, a principal, the head of a school, and you have a, a student that uh, really is causing you a lot of problems, but you decide to hang on to that student because you see potential. Be somebody. Sometimes you have a student cause you a lot of trouble. You see that the, you know nothing's ever going to happen here. So you would treat the two in a different fashion. One you would expel. The other one, somehow you try and nurse through. 
So that was the difference between the Jewish people and the Egyptians. But Rameir Sinclair says a tremendous idea there. And that is, he says that an individual is judged on observance of mitzvahs. He's judged on the level of Ben Odom Lamoko, and not just Ben Odom Lachavera. But he said the Jewish people as a whole are judged on the basis of Ben Odom Lachavera, on the society. What kind of society do they have? So he says a remarkable statement there. He says, Afilu Yiyu Rov Yisrael Machalale Shabbos. Even the majority of the Jewish people are not Sabbath observers. But if they're good to each other, they're kind to each other, if they're honest to each other, if they have some sort of good society, so he says, Yovah Hashem Slovach Lohem, God will forgive them. God will avoid them. But when they're destroyed internally, when the society is corrupted completely, so then uh, that's where the punishment comes. So he says, for instance, that's the interpretation. The Gemara says that at the time of David HaMelech, when David HaMelech went to war, so even though they were all observant, they were righteous people, they were led by David, the Tanakh records for us that the Jewish army suffered substantial casualties. Yet when they went to war under Ahab, the king of the northern ten tribes, who was an idolater and married to Izebel, and who persecuted Elio Anavi, so there the Gemara says we see in Tanakh that they suffered almost no casualties. They were enormously successful. So the Gemara says the difference is that at the time of David, they spoke Lashon Everybody was interested in the other guy's pot. At the time of Achot, the Gemara says no one would inform. Achot was looking for Elio. There were hundreds of thousands of Jews that knew where Elio was. Nobody told. There were no informers. Therefore, in that generation, uh, so they were successful in war, and they suffered fewer casualties. It's a remarkable statement of the Meshachot. But again, uh, there's a great deal of uh, current uh, relevant truth to that. We have to try and build a good society. We have to try not to hate, not to insult. Certainly not to cheat. Because if that becomes the society, so then uh, all the other uh, failings of the society, religiously speaking, are also up for punishment. Two years ago, Eric Besa, so uh, three days before Besa, our grandchildren, we had brought in a number of grandchildren to celebrate the Yontif with us here. So I didn't want my wife to cook, Aaron, you know, I said, 
I said, we're going to go out, uh, you know, forbidden fruit. We're going to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken. And the Maseret, you know, hot and chicken. And the grandchildren have a great time. We don't have to cook. So we come there. So there were like 7,000 other people who had that same brilliant idea. Tremendous line to the counter. So I, my, my wife and the kids went to take a table, and I get lying, right? I'm waiting, and after about 25 minutes, I get up to the counter, and just as I get to the counter, and I'm ready to give them my order, colo guy, you know, hat, black hat, jacket, beard, everything, he elbows me out of the way, and he says, I know that I'm jumping to the head of the line, he says, but my kids are making me crazy, I can't take it anymore, I have to give my order. I said to him, well, if you feel that way, that you have to, if it's because of and you know, go right ahead. So he recognized my voice. She said to me, are you Rabbi Wine? I said, yeah, I'm Rabbi Wine. He said, after I give my order, can I bring my kids over for a bracha? Which he did. So I gave the kids a bracha that they should never feel impelled to push to the head of the line. <laughs> But that's, that's how you measure society. And we have a tough fight. It's a tough country and we're a tough people. That's why the That's why God made so much because he knew what a tough people we are. It wouldn't be for all the mitzvahs that we would have. Who knows what would be here? So that's what the Navi says. The, the sins of the prophets, the sins of the priests, the corruption of society, that's what brought it down. That's what the Gemara means that the second base of English was destroyed by Sinaskino. Sinaskino means that uh, people weren't willing to accommodate each other. Not willing to tolerate each other. I can disagree with you. I don't have to agree with you at all. But I have to somehow make room for you. And especially in matters of faith, when one is convinced of the justice of one's cause, it becomes more difficult to make room for others. But that usually is counterproductive to the cause that we want to produce. This can Eric Hayes, last Eric in uh, Athos. So this uh, chapter also has uh, 22 psukis, but it has uh, the order here is not uh, not consistent with the other uh, four chapters. Other four chapters all have uh, alphabetical order of the verses. And here, they're like thrown together. As I mentioned, uh, this uh, chapter was written in reaction to the Hurva, to the destruction of the temple. Whereas the other four chapters are, so to speak, uh, in anticipation, or they were written uh, as an elegy, so therefore, they're 
there's an order to them. It's, there's a lot of thought given to it because it's not written under the pressure of the event of the moment. But here the last chapter is in reaction to the actual Urban. And all he sees the Urban in front of his eyes. And therefore, it's, uh, it's more jumbled. That is a very interesting word that we should tell God to remember. The Lord is beyond memory. We say in the davening on Rosh Hashanah, There's no such thing as remembering or forgetting. The Lord is above time, so uh, everything is the same. So how do we say, or for instance, we have the famous uh, prayer of Yizkor, that God should remember our uh, dearly departed uh, relatives. What do we mean that we say, remember? So the simple explanation, which is true, is that uh, we can only speak to God in terms of being human beings. Finite can never really address the infinite. Uh, so we have no way of talking to him. And he, so to speak, has no way of talking to us. And therefore, we find in the Chumash many times, and we find the Gemara, it says, that there are all the anthropomorphic statements which exist in the Chumash, like God's hand, God's anger, uh, etc., God's face, are only to be understood in order that something should enter our ear. So they have to talk in those terms, but those terms are never meant to be taken literally. They're never meant to be understood in that fashion. And so therefore, what we say to God also, it should not be taken literally. God remembers. Because remembrance is not necessary. It's not possible, so to speak. But that's the only way we can talk to that. Only talk to him as a human being talks. So we say here, Zor Hashem Mahoyolonu, Abito Reyes Herposeno. See our shame, our abuse in the world. So one of the constant themes here in Echa and in Jewish history as well is that the chosen people who have contributed so much to civilization are abused, hated, mocked at, shamed. And that's one of the paradoxes, the historical anomalies that exist, how why such a thing should be. Uh, since the Nobel Prize was instituted, uh, there are well over 160 Jews that have won the prize in all fields. For example, without being uh, racist or fascistic, uh, three Muslims have won the prize. One of them is Arafat. So if you have a people that produces 160, 
And you can be sure that they didn't get the Nobel Prize because they were Jewish. You can be certain that there are a lot of Jews that on the way didn't make it. But if you have such a people and uh, such a uh, contribution to civilization, so one would think that somehow the world would appreciate it instead of resent it. That's one of the problems the Novi raises here in Eichel, is that why should we be so resented and shamed when uh, in the course of normal ideas uh, we should be treasured and respected? That's a great point. Nachlaseinu nephol Our inheritance was taken by others. There's no worse feeling in the world than a person who feels that his inheritance, what he was granted by his ancestors, was taken from him. He was robbed of his heritage. A great deal of frustration in the Jewish world today is simply because there's an underlying feeling amongst many, many Jews that they've been robbed of their heritage. They don't know where they, you know, so sometimes... You know who the robber is. So you can complain. But sometimes you don't even know who the robber is. So you make a complaint and it gets filed. Very little happens. I ordered a set of checkbooks. You know, there there are two occasions in life when you're very frustrated. There are more than two. One is... uh, when you have checks and you don't have money in the account to write the check. But even more frustrating is when you do have money in the account and you don't have checks. So I found myself in that situation. Uh, so I uh, called up my bank in the United States then, and I said, mail me the checks. Mail me a book of checks. So they sent it to me through the mail. The only thing is, I never got it. Somebody ripped it off, whether it was in the post office or whether it was in the the mailbox. And the guy wrote out checks, and he signed my name, right? No, the banks don't look anymore at the signatures or anything. But he made a mistake of being too greedy. He wrote out checks in amounts that uh, the great Rabbi Wine never has in his account. All my uh, money is invested in Swaziland dinars. So, you know, so I get notices from the bank, you know, the checks are bouncing and this and that, and, you know, what's going on here, right? Until I finally go to the bank and I show them that, you know, the checks that they honored are all uh, forgeries. So the bank uh, was willing to make restitution, but only if I made a police complaint. So I made a police complaint, and the detective took down all the information in a very bored fashion. WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Uh, when you, the real police is not what you see on Law and Order or uh, New York Police Department, etc. That police doesn't exist. And he took it down, so it's two and a half years. I've heard nothing from it. I haven't heard a word from anybody. But the bank at least put the, made restitution. They have insurance for it. 
But the feeling that you have being robbed is uh, it, it, it's such a personal ego blow. It's uh, you know, the same thing happens, God forbid, if a person's home is burglarized. You feel violated. It's not just what they took. So that's what the Nazi says. What was ours, they took it from us. And we have no one to complain to. Yusomim ho'ilu, we are orphans. There ain't of, and there is no father. So what does that mean? If you say you were orphans, so then there's no father. Why should the blessing repeat it? So there are two kinds of orphans, God forbid. There's an orphan, but the orphan had a father. And let's say the father had a reputation, or the father had wealth, or the father had friends, or the father had family. So even though the child is, God forbid, orphan, but there's some backup system. But what if you have an orphan and nobody knows who the father is? It often happens in our world today. There are entire communities that uh, have no father. No one knows who the father is. We have glorified single parent status as though that's something to be uh, pursued. But here it's Yosomi Moyinu, we are orphans and we don't ain't all, right? There's nobody to turn to. No father behind us. No one to follow up. No one to turn to. One of the interesting things about being a rabbi in Eastern Europe over the centuries, but it was famous in the 19th century, the early 20th century, was that the foundlings were dropped at the rabbi's door. Jewish babies that were born out of questionable circumstances or were born out of such abject poverty that the parents felt they couldn't do anything for the baby. So they would bring the baby and deposit it on the rogue's door. And the rogue would raise them or would take care of them, or would somehow. Uh, well, probably the most famous Rav in the, 19th, the end of the 19th century was famous for this was the great Rabbi Chaim Briscoe, Chaim Salavechik, you know, the, uh, the son of the Beis Alevi, the uh, man who was known for revolutionizing the uh, method of uh, understanding Talmud and the Rambam, but what is not as well known about him was his great uh, humanity. So they, they, so in Brisk, where he was the rook, Brisk, the Tusk, where he was the rook, so he must have raised, uh, let's say, 40 or 50 foundlings, got them educated and got them married. Most of them were illegitimate. So they, they used to say in Bris, he's one of Reb Chaim's mamzerim. Right? But they said it in a loving way, not an insult. And my own father-in-law, blessed memory, became an orphan from his father and mother when he was 11 years old. And he had nowhere to be. 
So his oldest sister took him and brought him to the house of the Chafetz Chaim and Rod and left him there. My father always told me how the Chafetz Chaim made the bed for him and gave him a glass of hot milk. Told him not to worry, he'll take care, you know. And he stayed in Rotten uh, for eight, nine years. So, like, you know, that was accepted. That was an accepted thing. It wasn't seen as an act of great uh, piety. You have books written about it. That was just accepted. That if you were a rod in the community or you were somebody of note, you know, so then uh, people could do that. People, you know, today it's different. You know, we yeah, today we suffer nudniks that call you at all hours of the night. Right? When I was the head of the OU, so I used to have uh, my mashgichim uh, who worked on the west coast. Some of them worked in Alaska at the Salmon, or I worked in Hawaii. So they would call me two in the morning, three in the morning in my house, you know, and I'm sleeping. And he would say, I didn't want to bother you in the office. But if you're in the job, you got to expect that. That's part of the job. And Moshe Rabbeinu said that. You know, you have to look in the Chumash because everything is in there. Moshe Rabbeinu said, it's kasher yiso the way a nursing mother carries an infant. That's what it is to serve the Jewish people. They're all babies. Every last one of them. But the Lord will bless you. You'll all be fathers. So at least for the first child, you'll get up at night. It's amazing. After the first child, I didn't even hear the other three. They slept through the night. My wife claims that they didn't. <laughs> but the first child, you know, she gets up two in the morning, she wants to be fed, you get up. Doesn't make any difference, it's inconvenient, you gotta go to work the next morning, you had a hard day at the office, the baby doesn't know any of that, the baby doesn't care. The baby's wet, the baby's dirty, the baby's hungry, the baby just wants to be a crutch. That's the Jewish people. The way a nursing mother carries her child. That's what so Moshe defined the job. You know, you want the job specifications, those are the job specifications. So therefore he says, but now that we're orphaned, and we have we don't even know who the father is, we have nobody, and nobody's doorstep we can be left on. And nobody that cares. Our mothers are like widows. What does it mean, like widows? So the before should say that that's the worst of all situations, is that a woman, the husband isn't there, she's not free of him, and she is not, and she doesn't have him. Stuck. The uh, famous problem of Adunot. So uh, throughout Jewish history, the problem of Agunot was pretty much localized to cases where the husband disappeared. And we have an entire literature in the uh, 
rabbinic responses and shadows and chuvas regarding Aguna. And there were great rabbonim that were specialists in it. That was their field. And it's an enormous responsibility because the, uh, the prohibition of, uh, of an Asian of a married woman, so that prohibition is one of the strongest in all uh, relationships. And to free her from it, and yet uh, the Gemara says, uh, we see it in the Gemara in Yevomos, it's also in Ksubis, but mainly in Yevomos. It says, Be'aguno hekilu. The rabbis looked for a way out by an aguna. And some of the most uh, creative uh, halachic exercises, literally putting the elephant through the eye of the needle, uh, exists in the question of agunas. Witnesses who are ordinarily unacceptable become acceptable. Circumstantial evidence which you never rely upon, we rely upon. We do our best. Here there was a terrible case of uh, sailors who drowned in the Dakar, and the Israeli submarine that uh, Israel had a submarine that was lost about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And uh, they never, two years ago they found the submarine, they found the remains. But like for 10 years they didn't. And the Israeli rabbinate worked on the problem in order to free their wives, most of whom did remarry and have other families, because they were young women. But we had no proof. But today uh, the word Agunai has been uh, co opted. Uh, to cases where there's a recalcitrant husband. A husband doesn't want to give a Jewish divorce. He's holding up his wife by not giving her a divorce. And those are very difficult cases as well. And usually you're not dealing with people who uh, who are subject to uh, logic or uh, persuasion or good common sense. Here in Israel, for instance, the uh, Israeli rabbinate jails husbands that won't give a divorce, right? They sit in jail. There was a guy that sat in jail 42 years and died in jail rather than give his wife a divorce. So it takes all kinds of monkeys. But in the United States, the case is even more uh, extreme difficult because they're a rabbin that has no power. You can't put anybody in jail. And usually at least, uh, so, so giving the divorce has become a weapon. A weapon for uh, child custody, a weapon for uh, division of assets, all sorts of things. None of which is really uh, acceptable according to halacha, certainly according to Jewish moral values. So that's the idea of ke'almonos. They're like widows in the fact that they don't have a husband, but they're worse off than widows because the widow at least has closure. It's over. And here it's open forever. So the Novi compares us to these types of Orphans. 
Avusenu Chotu Veino. This is a posuk that we could really relate to. Our fathers, the previous generation, sinned, but they're not here now. They're not here to see that socialism and communism and secularism has bankrupted us. They're not here to see what assimilation has done. They're not here. And we suffer for their sins, right? Now this, the Novi here repeats a phrase that he used uh, in the book of Yirmiya itself. The fathers ate raw grapes. You know, if you eat grapes before their son ripened, so it's, you know, it, it's sends a chill right through you. So the fathers ate boser, they ate raw grapes, and the teeth of the children are the ones that are on edge. So there is a, uh, a generational responsibility. A person does not live only for himself or herself or only for this generation. There's a generational responsibility. I've had many times in my rabbinic career that people have come to me and said, I'm so angry at my parents because of the fact that they never taught me anything, they never gave me a Jewish education, they never... So I said, well, anger is the wrong word. But we suffer for that. We suffer, we, we suffer for, uh, for everything that's happened. Again, as we see throughout Megillah Seicha, there is nothing that occurs that does not have consequences. And the consequences can be uh, many generations later. It need not be immediate, because the Lord has patience. The Lord is also a very good accountant, not Arthur Anderson. We haven't cooked the books. Everybody that's sitting in this room is sitting in this room because there was a great-great-grandfather somewhere that God owed him a favor. Otherwise, nobody would be here. Because there's no logical reason for anybody to be here. We could all be somewhere else. Nobody is... Uh, I mean, I'm glad we moved to such new spacious quarters, but, you know, the Yale Law School looks nicer in this place. spoke in Yale Law School two summers ago. So an Israeli, you know, so I drive all the way to New Haven from New York, and I forgot my jacket. You don't speak in the Yale Law School without a jacket. So I had to find somebody in New Haven that was roughly my size and was willing to lend me a jacket. But when you speak in the law school, you know, I mean, you really feel something. It is impressive. The building, the bookcases, everything. So half of me says, you know, why doesn't why doesn't why doesn't our yeshiva look like that? Yale Law School, you don't have a box like this sitting on the desk. <laughs> Just doesn't happen. <laughs> 
But the other part of me says, you know, <laughs> Yale Law School is Yale Law School, right? But, uh, but how can you compare it to studying Torah? How can you compare it to the tradition of the yeshiva, which is uh, 30 times older than the Yale Law School? So uh, we suffer for what our fathers did. We suffer for their mistakes. We have to play catch up. But on the other hand, we're also rewarded for what our fathers did. And because the Lord keeps the score. Avodi Moshlu Bonu. Slaves rule over us. Now, there's another concept that is, appears often in Tanakh. Shlomo Melech mentions it in Mishlei. The slave becomes the king. Uh, to a certain extent, it applies to the nouveau riche. People, you know, there's old money and new money. So old money usually by now knows how to handle it. New money is very hard to handle. So new money runs out and buys a Lexus right away. You know, shows uh, the person's wisdom. Hard to handle. Many times you see that uh, great reformers and great uh, social champions, when they get into office, become corrupted immediately. Grab off. All the dictators in Africa and Asia and uh, the Arab world, etc., they all are, uh, they all came to power to save the people. But when you get there, so uh, that's Evetimlov, that's a slave that becomes the king. So he rips off everything. It's true here also in society. In our society, too. Great opportunities that certain political parties had. But when they came to power, then they always represented themselves as being uh, discriminated against and persecuted and everything. When they came to power, so they were corrupted immediately. And uh, they think of it always in terms of restitution, reparation. It's a type of affirmative action. For all the years, others were corrupt and stole, and I never got a chance to be in the government, but now that I'm in the government, I'm going to make up for it. I'm going to steal in five years, you know, what took 50 before. And that's a prevalent psychology. So he says that's what happened to us. Uh, those that conquered us had that, that mentality. Also, one of the things that's true uh, is that, for instance, in prison, God forbid, but in prison it's well known that the prisoners are more cruel to each other than the jailers. In the concentration camps, so the capos were the worst, worse even than the SS in a certain extent. And that's what the Novi says here. Avodim, the slaves themselves 
they rule over us, right? They became the heads of the ghetto. They became the heads of the police. They ruled over us, so then we could not, you couldn't escape from them. Now, the next post is, So that also is an idea that's repeated often in Chazal. We say it in Daphne, uh, Rosh Hashanah. Adam Yisodo Me'ofor, Sofalofor. So we say, Benafsho Yovi Lachma. He earns his bread by risking his life. He brings it with his life. I remember when I was first a lawyer, so I had an office uh, on the 33rd floor of 1 North LaSalle Street in Chicago. It was a building that had uh, 4,000 lawyers in it. No wonder it didn't collapse. I remember the first day in the office, and I was uh, speaking on the phone, and I'm in my brand new swivel chair, and I swiveled around, and I looked at the window, and there's a guy washing the window, right? Because they're window washers on a regular basis, you got to walk. But he's on the 33rd floor, and what's holding him up is a belt. So I said to myself, you know, I wouldn't do that job in a million years, right? I don't rely on a belt. And God forbid it happens every so often that there are problems. That's benafsho yogi lachmo, right? What doesn't a person do to make a living? What doesn't he risk? We have... Uh, I mean, there are violent sports. Professional football. You know, people risk paralysis. Uh, can't, most of them can't walk afterwards after they've been playing for years. I know a Jewish uh, uh, young man who uh, had two Super Bowl rings. He was a lineman for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, become much closer to traditional Judaism. A very interesting guy. So the first thing he did now, I mean, he lost 150 pounds. So that he looks normal. I think he told me 150 or 170 pounds. I mean, it's like losing the whole person. And uh, he quit, uh, even though he, uh, they wanted to resign him for a number of years. He told me he wanted to be able to, to walk. He said all the linemen that stay past a certain period of time will never be able to walk again, right? So why would you want to do that? So that's Benafsho Yogi Lachem. That's the psychology of man. Boxing, right? So you, you see Muhammad Ali, right? He's completely befuddled. Uh, he's got Parkinson's. There's a limit to how many blows to the head you can take. But people are willing to do it. So the Novi says we are placed in such a situation that we have to risk our lives in order just to sustain ourselves. Not uh, in the concentration camps and in the ghettos at the Holocaust, so that was also literal. 
people risk their lives to try and smuggle in a morsel of food. Try and survive till the next day. So here he describes the fact that they died of hunger, uh, that women were raped, young girls were violated, and that the enemy respected no one, not the old and not the young. Everybody was the same. We also face such an enemy. Doesn't care whether he kills an eight-month-old baby or an eighty-year-old woman on a bus. All the same. But that that really describes a great loss of humanity. To be able to destroy children and the old. So the Navi describes it. Bachurim son posigud gimel bachurim tchon they made the young men, the strong men, work themselves to death. They were like the uh, beasts of burden in the, in the millstones, in the grinding mill. They have like, uh, we all know, you know, the Spanish galleon were always, uh, the ore power was supplied by slaves who would row for 8, 10, 12 hours in chains. Uh, you know, would last for one or two journeys, and then they were dead. They got new slaves. The uh, great uh, progressive, peace-loving, communist regime in the Soviet Union, so Lenin and Stalin had them build the famous canal from the White Sea to the Arctic Sea. They built it by hand, without machinery. We have covered a grave not long ago. There were at least 30,000 skeletons in one grave. But that was all in the name of the great future that we were going to have. Glorious tomorrow. Which somehow never gets here. The young men that tripped uh, carrying the heavy timbers. That was a uh, camp... Uh, uh, house that the Germans maintained in uh, Slovakia it was a stone quarry. They had captured uh, uh, Allied pilots. It was like 130 steps from the uh, bottom of the quarry to the top. And they had the prisoners carry these enormous stones from the quarry on their backs up this 130 steps. So most of them were dead within 10 days. We forget how uncivilized, civilized people can be. So the, the Novi paints the picture for us. Skeni Mishar Shavosu. The wise men were taken away from the gates of learning. The young men were taken away from uh, the music and their enjoyment of life from celebrations and weddings. Shavas Masos Libeinu. The joy of our heart was destroyed. We would never again be happy. 
So that happens many times that God forbid people suffer traumatic experience, suffer tragedy, etc. But they're never the same, right? They go on with life, but you're never the same. I don't know anyone that really went through the Holocaust unscathed. It's remarkable how it continued. But you can't say that didn't have an effect. I was just on a tour. My foundation had a tour to Canadian Rockies. One of the uh, couples that was on the tour, there was already a person uh, who uh, still had a number on his arm from Auschwitz. I watch him every morning put film on over the number. So I would stand up for it. The person that could put on film over the number you can't say that uh, you can't wash off the number. Nepach le'evil mecholenu. Our joy has become rather a sense of mourning. So uh, we have the custom uh, at every wedding uh, to, uh, to break glass in order to instill in the midst of the joy one sense of sobriety, a sense of uh, loss. No The glory, the uh, crown of our head has been removed from us. Woe to us because our sins have caught up to us. So again, you know, it took generations to get here. It wasn't uh, an instantaneous decline. Uh, the same thing is true in our time. It took generations to get to uh, the less than glorious point that we're at today, and it will take generations to build it back again. And the only way we can build it back is one by one, person by person, family by family. We don't have any, you know, we don't have Billy Graham, you know, that he can put 100,000 people and all say, I believe, it's all over. I wonder what happens with all of those people. Right? By now it should be a better world. He's spoken to millions. Crime rate should have gone down. Something should have happened. It's easy to say, I believe. Hard to uh, follow through. That's why the Torah disciplines us in every facet of life, in every day. Because uh, without that discipline, uh, just uh, either intellectual or emotional attachment will not do it. Our hearts are broken regarding these events. Regarding these events... Our eyes are darkened. Eyes are darkened means that we don't see our way out. We also live in such a time we don't see our way out. What's the policy of the government? The policy of the government is to get through today. We had a, a dean in our yeshiva. And I went there that you could never get a direct answer from him. His answer to everything is, well, we'll see. 
50 years later, I see that he was right. That is the answer. We'll see. Because, uh, go plan. Somebody has a good idea how to get out of this mess. So that's Choshu Our eyes are dark. Not clear. Regarding Mount Zion, that is desolate, destroyed. Right, so uh, the Palestinians, Arafat, objected that non-Muslims should go up on the Temple Mount. So Israel withdrew the permits that for the last two weeks non-Muslims have been able to go up for tours of the Temple J.M. in the A.M. Rabbi Beryl Wine has been uh, giving us some tremendous insight uh, this morning into Eicha, which of course is the Megillah that we read on Tisha B'Av. Most people read it uh, last night. Some read it both last night and this morning. This is J.M. in the A.M. on Tisha B'Av morning, 5774. As is our tradition when we're uh, on the air during the week on Tisha B'Av, Rabbi Goldwasser is kind enough to join us and to um, assist us in presenting a uh, kinnis service. Um, what we will do is um, what we'll do is we will read uh, kinnis here in the studio, uh, usually a uh, portion of a specific kinna, which uh, I will announce, and then Rabbi Goldwasser will give us his commentary. As is the tradition, we do not greet each other, just like we do not eat and drink and wash and other prohibitions and restrictions on Tisha B'Av. We also don't greet each other, so instead of saying good morning to Rabbi Goldwasser, I'll simply ask Rabbi Goldwasser, are you there? Yes. yes. Rabbi Goldwasser is with us. I thank him again, and we are ready to begin our kinnis service on this Tisha B'Av morning. We're going to start with... Uh, what is in the traditional count, and that's what we'll go with, uh, Kinna number six, uh, which starts the uh, Kinna service. It's the first one that we say uh, during Shachris on Tisha B'Av morning, and then we will continue with Rabbi Goldwasser's comments here at JM in the AM. Shavasuru meni shimuni ovrai, schimos hasimuni bedre chaverai, sakosa mishkan mischos dvirai, sakosa vihivlogugi borai, safkucha fumuadu evarai, kisilaho labirai, naflo deinu betsudhuya, eni chiksala chazon bemberechya, Ad pile gilgol chavuya, enim olelas bivanim nechuya. Asavanicham vayikralivchia, venam alei leanivochia. Tavo elitzar asher kilanu, limavoch hamos bechemani halanu. Ad lachalach lachavor higlanu, zakein uvachur vsulach evalanu. Ram habed namacha kulanu. Zachor Adonai Mehe Yalanu. Shabbat We have all been affected, even in our modern day current generation. We're affected by the absence of the base of Mikdash. That the Jews act, the 
spiritually of what the entire world was supposed to mean. We are missing, in a spiritual sense, the true purpose of every individual. As we say in Elenu, to perfect this world. When Yermio was returning to Yerushalayim, he lifted his eyes and he saw the whole city going up in smoke. He saw the base of Mikdash. He couldn't understand it because he thought for sure that Hashem would have mercy on his people. But he realized that there were certain averos. There were sins that were committed that simply had become too much. It was at the point where the evil had taken over. And from that point, Shavasuru, immediately the Besamikdash was taken away. Two of the sins that are hinted to in this kina is both Shavas or Shabbos. We know that people stopped the observance of Shabbos. People did not have the correct regard for Shabbos. And because of that, there was Chil of Shabbos. There was a desecration of Shabbos. That was one of the sins that eventually brought about the downfall of the Holy Temple of the Beit HaMikdosh. I would like to say that how beautiful it is that in South Africa there was a campaign that went far and wide throughout the entire region of everyone keeping Shabbos. Everyone clasped hands and decided that they would keep one particular Shabbos. Massive Shabbos mills were set up. The entire South Africa was united in their Shmira Shabbos and their observance of Shabbos from right, if you will, to left. What a beautiful achtos. The second sin that we are alluded to, that is alluded to, and that is the one about the truth, where Emes Nederes, Yermio had said, they have taught their tongues to speak falsehood. And it's interesting, there is also an allusion to this in Echo. I'd also like to say that today, with the number of people that are only interested in the Devar Hashem, in the word of Hashem, in the absolute Torah truth, that we are being misakain, we are repairing that old broken Avera, the sin of the past. There was a man who called me yesterday, who was at least somewhere in his mid-90s. A younger man got on the telephone and said, I have a Shiloh, my elderly father has been every year observing every fast. He has never, ever eaten on a fast day. However, the doctor tells him that he must take medicine this year, and with that medicine he has to eat. Unless he hears it directly from a rabbi that he must eat, he refuses. He then put the elderly man on the phone, and I spoke to him for a couple of minutes, and I told him, you must eat. That is the Torah law. He said to me something that was so interesting. He said, if the rabbi tells me that I must eat, then I must eat. But somebody is going to have to feed me because I will not do it with my own hands, not be a dying. The beauty, the truth, 
the greatness of Klal Yisrael, the greatness of our people in Eretz Yisrael, the absolute Torah truth that they simply will not veer from. What a credit it is that we can understand that some of the things that we need to be mistaken, that we need to start to repair and to fix, we're already doing it. We continue with um, Kinna Zion number seven. Eicha atzta biapecha liabed biad adomim emunecha v'lozacharta bris bein absorim asher beirarta livchunecha v'chein bitinu zochor adunoi meho yalonu eicha galarta begarosecha liglos biad geim gulecha v'lozacharta ligas dilug derech asher dolakta ligolecha. Ubechain di Baharnu, Zoharaduno, Meho, Yolanu, Echo, Carosa, Bicriosecho, Lignos, Biad, Kamim, Cruecho, Lozaharta, Regesh, Recha, Ribosayim, Asherotis, Oleriacho, Ubechain, Ragan, and Nu, Zoharaduno, Meho, Yolanu, Echo, Shoafta, Bishafecho, Shalos, Biad, Shodim, Shlemecho, Lozaharta, Tokev, Tatale, Soar, Shertikantalis, we ask in this question, in this particular kinna, the question of how is it possible that there was the great faithful ones of Hashem, the Nemonim, that unfortunately were killed off. This kinna resonates particularly this year with all that has happened in Eretz Yisrael and the Holy Land. And we remember from the very beginning of the three Kedoshim, of the three great young Tzaddikim that were Neregal Kiddush Hashem, that gave their lives for the sanctification of Hashem. We understand that this is all part of Golos. It's all part of the exile. We understand that the 20,000 that attended the Leviah, the funeral of the officer, we understand the great Kiddush Hashem that that made, that Am Yisrael is together, that we are one. Sukhar Hashem Mahayolanu. We also, in this kina, say Hashem, remember, remember what has happened to us. We also call upon Klal Yisrael, our people, to remember what we have done. It's an interesting medrash that Hashem says to Yirmiyahu, the great prophet Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu, you don't know how to cry. I will go to the others, to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll tell them to cry for Tishabov, and they will know how to cry, but not you. So the commentaries ask the question, why won't Yirmiyahu, why wouldn't he know how to cry? He saw the Chorban in front of his eyes. He was there. He experienced it. The others were not there. And he answers, by the way, of a small incident that happened. 
there was a very wealthy person who could afford everything in the world. He began gradually to lose his money until it was the point that he really didn't have much, but he could still eat out of the gold and silver dishes and utensils that he had at home. Soon he had to sell that. He had no money with what to eat, so he was reduced to knocking on doors, asking and begging for money. Then he took ill. He could no longer knock on the door. He could no longer go house to house. He sat like a complete Rachmanus in the street. All of a sudden, there was a man that remembered him when he used to be wealthy, when he used to have everything. And the man comes over to him and he says, Wait a minute. You're that rich man. I remember what you have. I remember all the gold and the silver and everything. And the man looks up at him and he says, Gold? Silver? What are you talking about? That's long forgotten. I don't even remember that. The only thing that I wish is that I could go knocking door to door to ask for money. That I can't do, and that's really what I miss. He had become used to it. He had become rogel in his new lot. Hashem says, Yermio, you saw the nation going down. You saw the decline level after level. You got used to it. You don't know how to cry. I'll go to Avram Yitzchuk and Yaakov. They knew the former glory of Klal Yisrael. They knew what it was when we had the pomp and the ceremony and the majesty of the greatness of the Beis Amikdash. They saw it, the Tifarto in all of its glory. They'll know how to cry. You got used to it. The problem is sometimes I feel that we get used to it. That we're used to the Golas. That we're used to getting a report from marriage Yisrael. That we're used to hearing that there was a Russia that took a bulldozer. I think we became rogue a little bit. It's hard. It's hard for Klal Yisrael. Hashem says, I'll remember what it used to be. You also remember where we belong. The high level. The Madrega that every one of us should be on. We continue with uh, Tina number 11. Vayikonen Yirmiyo al Yoshio Echali konenu me'elov Ben shmona shana hecheli drosh me'elohov Ben echambi avram chanu alav Lo huskar lo sigoy mifalav Gam v'chol malchei Yisrael asher kamu ligidor O kam kamo mi mosavi gidor, dovag bochet leitzaneador, asher kamu acharadeles listor, sisinov kikinezam, the shalem shionam bavon bitzam, tam kesematov amzubifosham, my konein alav kalecho yuam, tam bimikrechod kosmigidolishtos, we read in this kinnah 
We know that Avigador is actually one of the names of Moshe Rabbeinu. And in fact, it is Avigador that he started to mend the breaches. He started to correct in Klal Yisrael what was necessary to correct, as did Moshe Rabbeinu. When he saw two people fighting, he stopped them. When Moshe Rabbeinu heard that there was a Vadasara, he ran. When Moshe Rabbeinu knew that Klai Yisrael needed someone to intercede on their behalf to Paro, he was the one who took his life and was willing to sacrifice his life for the sake of the Klau. Here, too, we see that Yoshiohu, he spent his life mending the breaches. He removed the Avodah He took out all the idols that were made. This was somebody who was extremely great. We say a hesped here, a eulogy. And it's interesting that the words, the word itself, hesped, comes from the word hefsed, loss. The Chassam Sofer says the reason that we read and that we have a eulogy is only that we can understand the loss, that we can be moved to understand and to cry over that which we no longer have. And so too the kinos has an aspect of eulogy, of hesped. We begin to go over the things that happen, the tragedies over the millennia. We begin to understand how everything is connected to the Beis HaMikdosh, to the destruction of the Holy Temple. That is the source and the root of all that happens in our Golos, in our exile. It is fascinating to know that the kinos itself is supposed to fix us. The kinos, when we read these, we are supposed to be elevated and we're supposed to get to the level in which we can understand the importance and the predominance of the Beis HaMikdosh in our lives. The kinos itself is a way of fixing ourselves. It is the most beautiful therapy that a person can have in Golos. The great Rabbi Nachman of Breslov said, Kinos are the same letters we find in Tikkun, in fixing, the repairing or the rectification of all of our sins, to perfect the world of Hashem. J.M. in the A.M. Tisha B'Av morning, we continue with the recitation of Kinnis, our public mourning and lamentation, which we pray very soon will turn to a day of public celebration. But for now, this is Tisha B'Av in the traditional sense for the year 5774. Rabbi David Goldwasser is with us. Rabbi Goldwasser's brilliant and timely commentary is both frightening and heartwarming, especially during these times. We continue with the 13th. Kina, uh, listed as Kina Yud Gimel. Eko Omer Koreis Liov Befetzach, Bivris Ben Absarim, Koyela Netzach, Venatabulu Atzamai Beretzach, Lama Elohim Zanach, the Lanetzach, Eko Gosh Kiseli, Olalarato Secho, Nelchadko, Pitubi Edo Secho, Venatadakru Befelach Rayo Secho, Yeshanab Chabitzel, Marisecho, Eko Shivasho Fros Eretz, 
in this kina, we ask Eikoi, what has happened to the power of Ko? Ko refers to Mesiras Nefesh, to the self-sacrifice that B'nai Yisrael, that our people have for Hashem and for His Torah. It's not because the Jewish people are the smartest or the strongest or even at times the most dedicated. But the reason that we received the Torah is because Hashem knew we would have the koach to be Moser Nefesh, to self-sacrifice for Torah. We have seen in the recent days the tremendous Mesiris Nefesh of Achenu B'nai Yisrael, of our brothers. We saw one soldier, he should have a Rufur Shalema, a chayal that went and jumped on a grenade in order to save all the rest of the troop and the people that were there. We have seen countless acts of givura, of tremendous might and strength from those members of the army, the way that they prepare for battle, the talem that they say, the singing. Can you imagine a group of army, a troop, that are ready to go into actual combat, the worst of worst situations, and they lock arms, and they sing, and they dance for an hour. That's how they prepare. That's how they get ready. Ekoi, we wonder what happened. We wonder the power of the serious nefesh that we see every single day unfolding in front of our eyes. It would be worthwhile for every Jew, no matter where they're at in the world, to go to Eretz Yisrael, to be able to see the Mesiris Nefesh, the Stam Yid, the regular Pasha Jew, how he does whatever he or she can do, bringing food, bringing clothing, bringing lights, whatever is possible to the army people. What a Kiddush Hashem it is that the Klau Yisrael says no way. When it comes to Eretz Yisrael, when it comes to the safety and the security, we don't care what the world is going to say. We have no interest in world opinion until the world opinion gets on the right page. As that great general, former general from Texas, gave a what I would call a schmooze to the world and said, Are you kidding you want to stop Israel before they're able to completely wipe out Hamas? Are you kidding me? The greatness that we see each and every day. Eiko, where's that power? We wonder, why? Isn't it enough? Can't we take that power of Messiris Nefesh, the power of self-sacrifice, and say that we should have everything? Eretz Yisrael should be deep and secure within all its borders. Can't we say to Hashem, Ekoi, Hashem, we got the power. And even if not, Koi, 
What is the ko? The ko is the broch of the kohanim. The berchus kohanim, where they say ko sevarchu, ko sevarchu. What happened to those letters, the 60 letters of the premier bracha, the precinct? We know that if not for the schus, not for the merits of Klal Yisrael, Hashem says, I'll still give the bracha. The Bechus Kohanim, the priestly blessing, is for free. It's a matashinam. And so we ask Hashem, we ask Hashem Yisbarach, please give us a free blessing. Give us the bracha of the Kohanim. Let everything come to a standstill. Let the peace reign in Eretz Yisrael. And let all of B'nai Yisrael be secure. And let all of B'nai Yisrael rejoice. Ekoi, we ask Hashem, what has happened to that power? And we hope that through our children, Mas and Toivim, we will once again be Zoycha. We will merit to see Yerushalayim, to see Eretz Yisrael, to see the whole world focused on the eye of the world, the eye of the universes. Ravaya Kaplan Zechat Sadik Levrocha spoke about, which is Eretz Yisrael. And in fact, that's where every eye is focused today. I have no doubt that when we read each kinna, we have Eretz Yisrael in mind. It's safety, it's security, it's beauty, it's power. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmdm.org. On a typical day, this program is filled with casual conversation. Today, we lament together and mourn together on this Tish Above 5774. Rabbi Goldwasser is with us, and we continue with the kinna designated as Yud Zion, number 17. <speaking in Hebrew> Im to menazo lumazo boi nuvashelos benein tsorchim alayli im to adna zolozo tibenet nivenech uchavoi minutach nisochim alayli im to zemenab saravos labonim bimaros usichim alayli im to chiyavna banos alchekim osam nispochim alayli im to kana shlosh meos yonikim al shochacha al shochachas misuchim alayli im to raina rakos vanugos kvulos al yad rav tabochim alayli
We will try to reconnect with Roy Goldwasser and continue with our... We, oh, here we are. Rabbi Goldwasser, go right ahead. In this particular kinna, we read, Rabbi Lezer tells us that if this could happen, if there could be such depravity, such a moral decline, there had to be a reason for it. One of the things that we know happened that was frightful, to say the least shocking, is 250 years before the Chorm Beis Amikdosh, before the destruction, one of the great prophets, Zechariah ben Yehoyada, was giving Musr, he was giving ethical reproach to Bnei Yisrael, to the people of Israel, in the Azara, in the court of the Beis Amikdosh. It happened to be on the holiest day of the year, on Yom Kippur. Yoyesh HaMelech was king. The people were perverted. Instead of listening to the Divrei Musr, to the words of great moral and ethical teachings, they stoned the great Sadiq on the holiest day of the year in the holiest location on earth. It was from here that we understand corruption and depravity. Klal Yisrael is only Klal Yisrael when they listen to the Torah. When they don't listen to the Torah, God forbid, there is a question, are we like any other nation? Or Chalila, could we even be lower? There is an interesting dispute between the Rambam, Maimonides, and Nachmanides, the Ramban. And that is, without the Torah, would we understand even the basic mitzvahs, commandments, between us and our fellow man, not to steal, and so forth. Interestingly, without the Torah, there is a shita, there is one of the great thoughts of our kachomim that says we would not understand. We would even come to doing the most base sins, the sins that are the most corrupt, because the Torah is our guidance. In this kina, we understand that everything that we do must be based upon Torah and guided from Torah. Without it, we're lost. It's like was explained. Everybody listens to the musicians. The musicians, they play their song. They sing. We know how to dance. We know to what steps we should dance, how quickly or how slowly. When the musician stops, there's no music. We don't quite know what to do. Everybody comes to a standstill. That is the Torah. It is the music in our lives. It's the Shiraz Chayenu, the song that accompanies us for 120 years. We will continue to sing the song in Golos, to try to come as close to Hashem and know all that the Torah says, every single one of us, is going to try, I know this year, and especially between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and the days that we have coming, Elul, which is not too long, I know that we're going to try to come close to Hashem. We're going to say, Hashem, we want to listen to the music. We want to know exactly how to dance and how to move in this Golos. We take this song that the Chayalim all sing, and so beautifully together, so strongly together, Everybody, 
that this should be the charm time, the opportune time. It should be the time when any Gezerah, when any decree in heaven is torn, and only Gezerah's Tovas, Yeshua's Nechamos, only good decrees, decrees of consolation, decrees that will be of great blessing and success for us and all of Kal Yisrael will be filled. We continue with uh, Kinna number 21, Chaf Aleph. Arze halvanon adiratora balet tracin bimishnovig mora gibore koach amoleha betahara tamam nishbach menashasagvura hinam kedoshe harugim alchus asara yaleila anivochia veini nigra. Zos bezochri azak mimara chemdas Yisrael klia kodesh nezervatora. Tahore Lev Kedoshim Mesub Misach Amura Yadu Goro Mirishon Lacherev Bura Kinefog Goro Araban Shimon Pashat Tzavara Uvacha Kenigzera Gzera Tzadik Rabbi Allah Zarben Shemua Bachronon Neherag Madkira Yom Erev Shabbos Hayaz Man Kiddush Vayikadesh Vayikra Kerev shalfu alav lohinichu b'chayim ligamra yatzasan ishmasa b'varai lohim yotzer b'tzartura kohena v'chohena osifu b'nei avla lanos b'gora b'skila sreifa hereg v'cheneg miuchal shara noseres many yochlu ayar arayos sebzura chazayat nufa v'shok hatshuma tarfu arye v'hakfira. Iti v'adonai v'lo yosif od liyasra. Ameitz b'rkayim koshlos chelak Yaakov v'moshi abiyeis tzara. Tzedek imloch melech yomar shalmu yemei avleich liyora onisa v'neleich. in which we read about the great cedars of Lebanon, which are the great tzaddikim, the righteous giants, the men and women who lead Klau Yisrael, who lead our people. As we know, it says, Adam Eitzah a man is a tree of the field. Hence the term, Arzeh the great cedars, the strong cedars of Lebanon. This year, of course, we go back and we take a look at the Arzeh HaVonon of the great Sadiqim that we are Zoka to have both in our generation and in previous generations. We remember the great leaders of our people when we say this. We remember the line in Echal Ela Nibokhia, over these I weep. And the Medish tells us that this is also talking about the great Sadiqim. We remember the great Chacham Ovadia, Rav Ovadia Yosef, and what he meant to this world. We take our cue from the great people. Their lives were so great and so powerful. Even if we emulate them 2% or 5% or 10%, that would be great. That would already be doing an unbelievable job. Chacham Ovadia, the great Sadiq, was taken in the hospital. He needed a very serious operation. 
before the operation, he begged the doctors to be allowed to go home for one day. There was an entire machlokas that broke out in the hospital. To let such a patient in such a condition leave, it was impossible. But not to listen to the words of the great Chacham, to the great Avadi Yosef that changed the world, it was also impossible. Finally, they decided that under strict observance, sending doctors together with him, they would allow him to go home for one day. He went home. He sat by his desk and he wrote a tshuva, a responsa. When he was finished at the end of that time, he went back to the hospital. It was revealed that there was a woman who was an aguna who needed a get. He had to write a tshuva so that this woman would be freed. He was afraid that chas v'shalom, God forbid, if he died on the operating table, the tshuva, the response would never be written for this woman. And for that, he went, possibly risking his own life, to make sure that the response was written. A small dugma, a small example from the lives of how many great ones that we had in our own generation. All the tzaddikim, Rav Yoshev, going back, all of the tzaddikim that have left this world, Remilchiyu the Lefkowitz, Hagoyin Rav Moshe Feinstein, Hagoyin Rav Soloveitchik, all the tzaddikim and all the ga'oinim that left us, even here on this soil, we say, we say a kinna for them. We realize the Asura Haruge Malchus, that the great martyrs that gave up their life, we mention them and we try to emulate them in some small way. I pray to Hashem, let me be like one of those. Any one of those, I don't care which one. Let me try to be attached to maybe one of their midos, maybe one of their great personality traits. I'll settle for one. Our Kinnis service continues at JM in the AM. I thank her by Goldwasser, whose inspiring words are very fitting on this day. And he and I together pray that one day we'll be here in a day of celebration on this ninth of Av, and not this day of mournfulness. We continue with uh, Kinna 31, Lamed Aleph. Eish tukad bekiribi v'halosi alibi b'tzeisi mi mitzrayim. Kini mo'ira l'manas kira b'tzeisi mi rushalayim. Az yashir Moshe shir lo yinoshe b'tzeisi mi mitzrayim. Vayikone niyir miyav v'nohanehehi nihiyav b'tzeisi mi rushalayim. Beisi hiskonon v'shachan heonon v'tseisi mimitzrahayim v'chamas el shachno alai kanena v'tseisi mirushalayim galayam ramu v'chachou makomu v'tseisi mimitzrahayim zdunim shatafu v'al roshi tzafu 
in this most beautiful kinna, which I always say gives us a little chizuk, gives us some encouragement in the middle of the kinnas, we have juxtaposed the powerful stanzas of Chizuk, the Tzaisim Mitzrayim. When we left Mitzrayim, how beautiful it was. And then we also remember when we left Yerushalayim. And I believe it is at all times that B'nai Israel is to look for Chizuk, would to be encouraged. During this present situation in Eretz Yisrael, the great encouragement that we've gotten it's almost unreal. It's like this song, which is strange in the middle of Kinnus, to sing the beautiful tune. And when we hear and see the things that have happened in Eretz Yisrael, the greatness of the soldiers, the greatness of the Chayalim, it's almost like we get chizik together with some news that we would wish we would never hear. It's a chizuk that even the Chachomim, back in 1492, when the Jews were expelled, it was on The Spanish Chachamim, the great rabbis, allowed the musicians to play while the Jews were being expelled, to give chizuk to people, and to thank Hashem that they had the koach, the power and the omits and the courage to stand up against the challenge of conversion. It teaches us that we never allow ourselves to get overwhelmed by a situation, that we continue our hope and our song. We continue singing. We continue getting the chizot that we need, the encouragement. We always say, the chazal, we do not depart from each other, but we say a few words of Torah, of encouragement, before we depart from each other. And I believe the songs that the Chayalim, that the troops sing together in preparation, how unbelievable it is, because it's the same idea. It's giving the chizuk. They'll face difficult battles on the battleground. They should win every battle. But the tremendous chizuk that it is, and I cannot hold back by saying that I wish that I was traveling tomorrow together with Reb Nachum, going to Eretz Yisrael, especially at a time like this. I wish I was together with him because I know what his presence is going to mean over there. And I only wish that I could in some small way do the same.
all of us wish it because we take this kinah seriously and we know it's the chizuk and the encouragement and the constant davening, the prayers that are uttered from each and every one of us, from the little children, from every little boy and every little girl, how precious they are. If you would have read, and I hope that everybody will, the letter from the mother of Ayal, the beauty that that mother, I don't know if she's a Rebetzin, a Rabbanit, but she should be. She wrote a letter that everybody should take a look at. Read it day and read it night. Every day and every night. Yom Kippur and Tishabov, Purim and Simchas Torah. There are words for each and every one of us. In that letter, I see this kinah. There's tears, but there's also great encouragement. There's music that's played. A mother who has such gavura. We can only understand how such a mother would have a son that did all that he did and the other kedoshim as well. And that the fact was that that family was chosen to be a dugma, an example to Cloud Israel. I um I hesitate to ever add to Rabbi Goldwasser's words in this context, but I do want to acknowledge on this Tisha B'Av morning those members of the Jewish music world who normally would not perform anywhere during the three weeks, but spent many of them spent the last three weeks performing in the way that Rabbi Goldwasser described in the in the most difficult of times uh, for the troops, for those on the front, and that should be acknowledged. We are set to conclude our Kino service here at JM in the AM. And since our custom, just like we don't eat and drink and we don't uh, wash and there are other restrictions as well, and we don't greet each other on Tisha B'Av, we do not have a normal conversation uh, on these airwaves on Tisha B'Av morning. So with that in mind, I will take this opportunity to uh, plead with the one above in this public forum and pray that both of our Goldwasser and I and all of us can next year be together in a day of celebration on the 9th of Av. And hopefully all of the the mourning and the lamenting that we've done in this public forum will add up to... Um, bring the eventual result of turning all of that mourning and lamenting properly so on the 9th of Av to a day of celebration and one that we can enjoy together. Bezrat Hashem. We will conclude, and then I will have Rabbi Goldwasser give us his concluding words for this Tisha B'Av 5774 with an abridged version of the traditional manner in which we conclude the Kinnis service, and that is with the chanting of Elitzion. Elitzion v'yareha, k'mo yishav etzireha, v'chivisulach agurasak, al ba'al niureha, 
The very end of Elysium, which is so meaningful to all of us and expresses fully what is in our hearts over the terrible tragedy of Gullus, the exile and all of its missionos, its travails and its tests for all of us every day. But the last thing we talk about is Aleishim for your name which was profaned. We see that of all the bad things in the world, the worst is the Chilol Hashem. Chilol Hashem is a desecration of Hashem's name. Klau Yisrael is both called upon and this particular kina to remember that and to perform a Kiddush Hashem wherever possible. I believe it is also a tefillah in which we say Hashem, Some think that we're like sheep for the slaughter. Hashem, protect your name. Hashem, we never forget you. As the popular song in Eretz Yisrael is, even when I distance from myself from you, you are tamid b'chayai. You're always present in my life in front of me. And I think that that is so obvious and evident from so many things that have happened over the past weeks. We say, Hashem, we will do ours to make a kiddush Hashem. We will try our very best to sanctify your name in every way. And we ask you, Hashem, on this tissue of Watch your name. Hashem Isbarach. Help this should be a Kiddush Hashem in the entire world. That everyone will recognize the greatness of Hashem and the greatness of Kal Yisrael. And there is not a Chil of Hashem on any level. May we soon see the promised Geula. Kishabov is a Moed. It's a holiday. We don't say certain prayers of mourning and distress. It's a moed. 
it is a beautiful time in which we look forward to when all of Klai Israel will celebrate together in Eretz Israel, and the land will have to expand. I'm not sure how that's going to go down with some of the news agencies when they're going to have to report on the expanded boundaries. Occupied territories will become an archaic phrase that nobody will ever understand again. But the expanded Eretz Yisrael and the expanded Kedusha will all understand the Karof. My thanks, Rabbi Goldwasser. Tish above 5774 here at JM in the AM. A couple of reminders before we go back to Rabbi Wine and his discussion about the Haftarah for today, which will conclude our programming. It is rare, it is very rare, that I ever discuss on Tish above something that's happening after Tish above. But in this case, I do want to point out, get information about tomorrow night. There are two events in Brooklyn tomorrow night. One that's a musical event, Standing with Israel, and one that's a kinnis of prayer, Standing with Israel. Please, uh, one is in uh, at the end of um, Ocean Parkway in southern Brooklyn at the Asher Levy Park, sponsored by the ZOA. The other is at Ateris Golda in Borough Park. Be at an event tomorrow night that is uniting with Israel. It's so important we announce that events are, in fact, in unity with the uh, with the people of Israel, that they be as well attended as possible, that we've discussed many times. So please, uh, whatever you could do to make sure to be at the uh, at those events, uh, it would be much appreciated. I also remind you that today on Tisha B'Av, on Tisha B'Av itself, uh, Mincha at the Isaiah Wall, across from the UN, 1st Avenue and 43rd Street in New York City. That happens um, at today at 2 p.m. It is always an inspiring program and a wonderful way to daven mincha. Try to be there at 2 o'clock today. Isaiah Wall, across from the U.N. Again, that's First uh, Avenue at 43rd Street in uh, New York City. Um, I do want to remind everybody... That at 6.30 today, at 6.30 today, an annual, what has become an annual tradition, an amazing way to close out Tisha B'Av. And we'll be carrying it both at jmnam.org and nachomsegel.com. 6.30 today, Charlie Harari with Project Inspire. Um, a program called Every Action Counts featuring stories and messages, how, how even small actions we do for others can have effects for a lifetime. 6.30 until 8.30, the last two hours of Tisha B'Av. Spend them on jmnam.org, nachomsegel.com, with Charlie Harari and Project Inspire. It is well worth it. And again, a reminder that today at 2.30 at Terrace Golda in Brooklyn, the um, program by the Kleiman Family Holocaust Education Center entitled A Plea for Rescue a special tribute to Rabbi Melech Mike Tress and his wife uh, Hinda. That's all happening at 2.30 today at 1362 50th Street with many distinguished speakers as part of a uh, Tisha B'Av program. J.M. in the A.M., we do head to Israel later. Matis is here tomorrow with the stories of Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach, as is our tradition on the 10th of Av. Thursday from Jerusalem, Friday from Stay Wrote. 
We are looking forward to bringing messages of love and solidarity from the entire diaspora to the Holy Land. Rabbi Beryl Wine has been so amazing for us during the nine days. We'll conclude his presentations with this part of his discussion about the Haftorah that we say today on Tisha B'Av at JM in the AM. Haftorah that uh, I'm going to deal with is the Haftorah for Tisha B'Av, for the ninth day of Av, the saddest day of the Jewish calendar. And the Haftorah is uh, from the prophet Yirmiyahu. You know that there's a word in English that's called a uh, Jeremiah. A Jeremiah is an elegy, a uh, sad, uh, doleful type of prophecy. Well, uh, this is the chapter that they got the word from. This Haftorah is not only uh, sad, but the Navi uh, recites it in almost a ferocious tone. And that's why it's according to the custom of the Ashkenazim, it is the Haftorah for the morning of Tishabov. The uh, Svardim have a different Haftorah, uh, which is uh, in its way uh, more, uh, I don't know when to say cheerful, but it's less ferocious than this one. I will utterly destroy them. That's the uh, usual uh, translation of the word Asofasifem. I shall utterly destroy them. To gather them, meaning like to gather them off the face of the earth. Uh, it can also mean that I will gather all of the fruit and all of the food and all of the defenses possible against the enemy, and the Jewish people will be left exposed and bare. We will see that uh, this Haftorah fits in very well in the description of all the times of terrible trouble of the Jewish people, and that the Novi may have had our, uh, our generation, the previous generation, in mind. There are no grapes on the vine. And there are no figs in the, on the fig tree. And the leaves have withered. And whatever I gave them as a gift, Yavrim has since passed away from them. There is nothing left for them. And the Forshim here say as follows. Grapes are the uh, most uh, important of all of the fruits in the world because from grapes you can make something. Not only the grapes, you make wine, which is the has always been, at least in Jewish life, the most important of liquids. So grapes are representative. Sometimes you have people who are creative. It's not just the person himself. It's that this person can influence so many others. This person can benefit so many others. So they have been taken away. There are no more grapes on the vine. But at least you have people left, people in their own right, even if they're not necessarily effective with others, but they as a, as a person exist. That's Ta'inim Ba'ta'ina, the figs and the fig tree. You can't do much with figs, etc. 
Advaitam. But the fig itself is a nourishing, sustaining food. There are no figs in the fig tree either. There are no people left. And not only that, there are people who themselves are shallow, who themselves are of little social value, who don't contribute that much to society. Uh, they're there for window dressing. They're there for show. They also are not here. Veheole novel, the their representative of the leaf on the tree, which is there for protection and for show. It cannot be eaten, but it's part of the tree also. And the leaves have also withered. Every gift that I gave them, God says, Yavrum has been taken from them by the enemy. We have this concept many times in Tanakh, and the irony of life is that a person never knows who one really toils for. I, we don't know for whom the bell tolls. You really don't know whom you're saving your money for either. Because many times... Uh, it ends up in the hands of the government or the lawyers or all sorts of things that one never imagined. And it's taken. The Avrun, it's taken away. All the gifts that one had that could have been used for a positive and strong uh, action, all of that has been taken away. So the people who live in the scattered cities in the defenseless towns, so they say, well, what are we doing here? What are we staying here exposed? They're convinced that if they go to the main cities where the defensive walls have been constructed, that they will be saved. Let us come and gather and go to the fortified cities, to the cities that are well protected. So here again is the, not only the imagery of refugees on the run, uh, but the, the nature of people is to try and find some sort of refuge and improvement in their situation. So the people don't realize that it's a general calamity. They feel that they'll be safe somewhere else which is what happened in the uh, Second World War in Eastern Europe, that no one imagined the general calamity. And they thought that if they went to Vilna, they'll be safe, or to Warsaw, they'll be safe, without realizing that there was no longer any safe haven. V'nidn Moshom. V'nidn Moshom, we will be silent there. So silence here is... Uh, uh, an ironic word. They say we'll be silent, we won't be noticed. We'll be able to blend into the society and we'll be able to escape and be part of it. And the Lord says, Vinid Mashom, there they will be struck dumb. They will be made silent. They'll be cut off. And the Novi continues, how futile that is. Ki Hashem Elokeinu Hadimonu. The Lord our God has silenced us. So the silence is that we cannot even pray to him. The doors are closed. Ninalu Shareit Filo. 
The gates of prayer are closed. Nothing could move him anymore. But there is a stage in human existence that is beyond our understanding where the gates of prayer are closed. We find that uh, in the personal life of Moshe, our teacher, who God told him it's uh, in the Parsha of Eschanon, so Moshe prayed unto God. He broke down the gates of prayer, and God told him, that's it, forget it. Stop it. And their bone shalom said, Rav it's enough. I'll toast if Dabere I don't want to hear anything more. So there is a uh, the gap between our understanding of the world and our understanding, so to speak, of the nature of the Creator and the reality of it. So the Lord has silenced us because even our traditional weapons of prayer do us no good anymore. Mayashkenu me rosh. He has given us to drink the waters, the poisonous waters. Rosh is a poison. It's polluted waters. Kichotonu Hashem, because our sins have overwhelmed us. We have sinned to God, and therefore this tragedy has occurred to us. Now, Rosh is a, an interesting... Uh, Phenomena, because when the person, according to the Mephorshim, when the person begins to drink the water, he doesn't realize that there's anything wrong with the water. It's not till the aftertaste sets in. It's a little like uh, Shoprite Cola. That the, it's only after the aftertaste sets in do you realize that it isn't so good. And then it's too late, right? And here it's poisonous, in fact. It's corrupted. It's, uh, it cannot be, uh, cannot be consumed. So this also is an imagery of how the Jewish people were. They drank strange waters. They served strange gods. So while they were drinking it, they thought everything was fine. Now the aftertaste has caught up to them. Now they realize that they have poisoned their system and that God will not overlook it. We hoped for peace, but there's nothing good that happened. No good came upon us. We hoped for a time of healing. Marpe is like with an olive. This is spelled with a hay, but it's the same word. Marpe, we hoped for a time of refuel. Time of healing, and instead of that, there's terror. Also is terror. Terror, the panic. That is that that is the uh, the psychological fright that we know is many times as bad, if not as worse, than the actual physical danger. And so in Israel never the people died of a heart attack. One of my uh, Talmudim, five of my Talmudim were in Eretz Israel for, for these two weeks and they came back. One of them told me that uh, that uh, Friday there was a uh, thunderstorm in Tel Aviv, and the peal of the thunder, people ran into the shelter because of the fact that they thought the Patriot missiles were going. That's the terror. 
That's the fright. He said other Jews stood on the street and recited the bracha out loud. There's a bracha that you make on thunder. Which is, again, the same, the reaction to it. I have, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein deserves some credit. I have, I have uh, someone in Israel that I, uh, I've dealt with for many, many years regarding uh, certain uh, foundations that uh, the yeshiva has been able to, uh, to get some money from, and we've been able to place people. And, uh, interesting. So the person is a, an agnostic, if not an atheist. And comes when they come to the yeshiva to visit the yeshiva, they like they don't know how to put on a yarmulke. It's uh, it's against their conscience, their inner conscience. But uh, you know, Rabbi Wine's a nice guy. I always treat him nicely, and I write to him. So I wrote to him uh, two days ago. I faxed him something. And then the fact that I hope in Mirza Shem to be in Israel in the next. Uh, few days, relatively speaking, and that I have to meet with him, and I want to know if the meeting is on, etc., and if you could... Uh... So I got the facts back this morning, and he writes in the facts, he wrote it out with his own hand, not with a typewriter, he wrote it out with his own hand, and he says, When you come, God willing, to Jerusalem, you know, we'll talk about these and these matters. Right? The guy writes in Hashem. Yeah, so you cannot say that he doesn't have some effect, our friend Saddam. But it's a frightening thing. That's the terror. Behold, we thought that there would be a time of healing, and instead it's a time of terror. This is the description of the enemy. From Don in the north, we hear the neighing of his horses. We hear the noise of his horses, of the, uh, of the uh, cavalry charging. So when the horse charges, he breathes heavily through his nostrils, so you hear that sound. So to us, uh, where we're no longer in, in horse and uh, cavalry warfare, so we would say you hear the sonic boom of the jets. You hear the explosions. You hear the sounds of war. They say that one of the uh, most frightening things in the modern battlefield is simply the noise. The noise is of a nature that paralyzes people. So that's, we hear it coming from the north, Midon. We hear the voices, the shouts of their heroes, of their strong men. In the ancient world, even as late as the American Civil War, the rebel yell. The South, uh, when the soldiers charged, so they had a special yell. And all of the uh, records of the Civil War, anyone who heard the rebel yell remembered it for the rest of their lives, both friend and foe. So that's the Mitzhalo Sabiro, the shouts of its heroes, the yell. All the earth trembles. It trembles because of the great mass of humanity that is moving. And they have come to consume the entire country. The land and everything that is in it. The city and all those who dwell within it. 
So the city refers to all the cities of Israel, but it refers always most specifically to the city of Yerushalayim, which is the city in the world. Now, because God says, Ki hineni meshaleach bochem nechoshim tzifonim. I am sending amongst you snakes that are vipers. That's the description of the enemy. Tzifoni is a viper. That's the most poisonous of snakes. It's a snake that even that if it touches you, it destroys you. There are snakes that uh, nobody likes snakes particularly, but there are snakes uh, like the garden snake or the garter snake that uh, is not necessarily dangerous at all. It may even be beneficial. Keeps uh, keeps other uh, rodents and insects out of your tomato patch. But then there are poisonous snakes, but there are poisonous snakes that a person can recover from the bite. They are not very poisonous. It's not fun, but there are poisonous. And then there are snakes that are like vipers where the bite is lethal, where the venom is such that it paralyzes the human nervous system in an instant. And the person can't breathe. He cannot come to himself. So that's, God says, on the snakes, the enemies that I am sending you, not nice enemies. You know, America in the middle of bombing Iraq, he says today, you know, that we're going to need $20 billion to rebuild it. Right? So, you know, that's America. Now, therefore, they already got in the budget, they're going to rebuild it. But the most, uh, our enemies are Nechoshim Tsifonim, they are vipers. Asher Ein Lohem Lochash. So Ein Lohem Lochash has a double meaning. One meaning is that they have no venom. They have no venom, meaning uh, that they're so poisonous that you don't need any venom, right? They're just the teeth, the fangs alone kill. They don't have to inject you with a tremendous amount of venom. They are so lethal. Others learn, they make no noise. They are so stealthily careful to surprise you that they make no noise. You don't even realize that the snake is upon you. Others say, there is no antidote to their bite. Because uh, many snake bites have an antidote. And if a person injects himself with the antidote so he's able to survive, this is one that has no antidote. It has... There's no way to get rid of this bite. So all three pshot, they mean the same, that you're talking here about a snake for which there is no defense. And they shall certainly bite you. Don't think that you will escape. So we have here, uh, as I mentioned, you know, a ferocity of vision. And you'll see that the Novi doesn't even ask the Jewish people to do tshuva. He doesn't say pray to God because he says it's useless. You know, you just, you got to take it. There's nothing there. It's irreversible. It's of no use. Mavligisi ale yogon. I strengthen myself. Mavligisi means I strengthen myself in my grief. 
in my sorrow, the Novi says. Olai libi davoi, inside me my heart is sad and broken. Why? Because the Novi's been saying this for 30 years. He said, this is what's going to happen. Now he sees that everything he said comes true. So there are people in the world, Nevech, that like to say, I told you so, who have a perverse pleasure over the fact that they are right. I see they always write for the Wall Street Journal. I, I told you so. Nobody likes to hear, I told you so. They're not in a family, not in a school, not in a community, not in the world. It doesn't accomplish anything. But here the Novi is genuinely heartbroken that his words have come true. Don't forget the Novi was put in jail for saying these things. He was in the dungeon. He was arrested a number of times. He was held up to ridicule. The kings of Judah said that he's a troublemaker. He's not telling the truth. The truth is that nothing's going to happen. And now he is vindicated beyond any imagination. So the Novi uh, humanly uh, would be allowed a moment, a glimpse of uh, self-satisfaction. I told you so. You didn't listen to me? Look what happened. But that's not the Novi Yermio. The Novi is heartbroken. Hine kol shavas basami. I hear the voice, the shouts of the daughter of my people, meaning of my people, my daughter. Me'eretz marchakim. She shouts from a far land. He sees them in the exile already. Jews scattered all over the world, far from their homes. Hashem ein b'tzion. Is God no longer in Zion? There are no Jews there. The temple is destroyed. There's no Jewish settlement. We, uh, who in our time uh, have never had to imagine, I always feel that when I speak in the yeshiva to the boys, so in the yeshiva there is nobody there almost that, uh, uh, that remembers any time when the Jewish people didn't own Jerusalem and didn't have the Western Wall. And, uh, you know, to them, it's, uh, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. And there's none amongst us. There was always, the, in our lifetime, a great Jewish settlement in the land of Israel. But it was not always like that. In fact, for most of the time, it was not like that at all. We take it for granted take the state of Israel for granted. We take everything for granted. It's supposed to be that way. And we even have complaints that it's not the way we like it. I remember when I was a uh, child growing up in my parents' home in Chicago, so uh, we used to get letters from Palestine, from my father's relatives, from my relatives. So the, the British, who always were very even-handed in, in these matters, so the stamp of Palestine had the Mosque of Omar on it. That was the stamp of Palestine. And uh, I remember my father used to peel off the stamp. He used to keep the stamps. So I once asked him, what do we need the stamps for? You know, you can't use them here. <clears throat> so he said the stamp was printed in Hebrew. It's a Hebrew stamp. It says on it, it said Palestine in Hebrew. It said in Arabic and in English and in Hebrew. So the Eastern European Jews, if you saw a postage stamp printed in Hebrew, so that was, you know, that meant something. 
different world, different understanding. So the, the God is not in Zion, right? The Jewish people are not there. Just as an aside, Israel has probably the most beautiful postage stamps in the world. They put out such a beauty. It was the 900th yard site of Rashi. So they put out a stamp for Rashi and Rashi letters. It was just just beautiful, that stamp I have. Just beautiful. I mean, like the right thing. Right thing to do. I commented on the yeshiva in that, too, that Greece never put out a stamp of Alexander the Great yet. Italy didn't put out a stamp of Julius Caesar. Right? They're all gone, right? He put out a stamp in Rashiksav. Everybody caught it, you know? Everybody got, understood immediately the stamp. They didn't use the regular Hebrew. They used the Rashi Hebrew to put it out. So that's, uh, you know, that's the Jewish people. Imauka Ingba, the king is not there. The, the royal palace is not inhabited. Where is God? How could such a thing happen? So God answers, Madua hi chisuni bifsileyem, b'havle nechor. Wow, how about them? Why did they anger me for so many centuries with their idols? B'havle nechor, with the vanities of the strangers. How did, why did they do that, right? Now they ask, what happened to God? God asks, what happened to you? Now this is the ongoing conversation, which is the story of the exile of the Jewish people. We and God never seem to get the story straight. How did it happen? Ovar Kotsir Kolokoyitz, the harvest season has passed. Kayitz, the summer is gone. People thought that somehow we would be saved. In the passage of time, some miracle would come and stop the Babylonian army. A miracle would occur. It's interesting how all the contests remain the contests of the Bible, right? Babylonia, right? So we think Babylonia, Babylonia. Here it is, Babylonia. The old contests are all here. You know, Saddam Hussein uh, uh, named his nuclear reactor Tammuz 17 after the 17th day of Tammuz when the Babylonians cracked the walls of Jerusalem. He knows what he wants to do. J.M. and the A.M. are a barrel wine on the topic of today's Haftorah that we read on uh, Tisha B'Av morning. I thank her by wine. He has been uh, an inspiration for us and a tremendous source of information and education during our period of the nine days here at JM and the AM, something that he always does for us, and I thank him. And uh, he should continue with the uh, strength and health to continue to lecture on the topics of Jewish history and Jewish topics for a long time to come. Uh, tomorrow we start to drift away from our Nine days format. Matis will be in for our traditional 10th of Av, stories of Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. Thursday we speak to you from Jerusalem, Friday from Steyrot. I um, remind everybody that uh, Mincha at the Isaiah Wall today, and it's always an important gathering, but this year more than ever, it always keeps in mind communities in distress around the world, and in this case, of course, keeps in mind our brothers and sisters in Israel and our brothers and sisters in the 
Israel Defense Forces. Uh, happens at 2 p.m. today, the Isaiah Wall, 2 p.m. today. Uh, make sure to bring your uh, Tolleson Tefillin and Sidurim. And that's uh, First Avenue at 43rd Street in New York City, right across from the United Nations. The um, presentation by Charlie Harari and Project Inspire begins at 6.30 p.m. later today. At 6.30 p.m., and you'll hear it on jmnam.org, uh, he will be with his uh, partners at Project Inspire, uh, giving us a two-hour, final two hours of Tishabov inspirational session um, coming off of the uh, very successful Project Inspire program that's happening today in many places. So Charlie Harari and company on our stream at jmnam.org, 6.30 uh, tonight, Eastern Time, for the last couple of hours of Tishabov, you are invited to participate and um, and tune in and be inspired by his words and the words of his colleagues. So that's again uh, starting at 6:30 p.m. You'll hear the whole thing on our stream at jmnam.org. We highly recommend it. There are uh, events going on uh, tomorrow night. Stand with Israel events, which we will outline for you. We'll have Matis uh, announce those for you tomorrow morning. And uh, we encourage everybody to continue to participate in those types of events. And uh, we continue to pray for the peace and prosperity of the Holy Land. And I look forward to speaking to you from the Holy Land on uh, Thursday morning's JM in the AM. Achenu Israel and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish Moments in the morning radio program heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. And that closes out our Tish Above Observance for 5774. I hope you found it uh, inspirational and I especially thank Rabbi Goldwasser for his participation as usual. And next year, let's pray it's a day of celebration. Till, uh, Till we speak to you from the Holy Land, Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.